live from my drum room. Please welcome the always smiling Jack Bruno. Hi, Johnny D. Good How's afternoon. Along? Good afternoon, Jack. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I thought I got disconnected for a minute, but and then I thought maybe this was a Johnny D prank of some sort. You know, it's like he sets me up. And we're gonna do this. We set up the sound and the video. He says, "Okay, I'll meet you back here at noon," and then never lets me off. <laughs> you're not. You're not the first person who who thought I did that. It's just because I say I'm going to be just a few minutes intro, and then I go for almost ten minutes. But uh, thanks for your patience. No problem. Here we uh, are. Yeah, and I was just say part of my delay was, you know, I've been doing this since April of 2020, coming up on three years, and I still can't friggin' figure out how to do all this, you know, tr um, sharing and all the stuff I need to do. I I need a producer is what I need. Somebody knows what you do. Doing. Yeah, I think you got it down though. You're doing all right. Well, thanks. It's so good to see you, man. Almost in the flesh. It's been a while. It's been a while, and and I'm I'm so happy that we've actually spoken on the phone a bunch of times in the last couple of weeks too, which is a, a tr always a treat. And uh, it's good yeah, to see I you. used to get to see you from time to time, but you know that all stopped. So yeah, I know. you left, yeah. and then COVID happened. And... But we had some great times. I've been thinking a lot about those great times, and and I've been thinking about all the different bands, artists I've seen you with in the in. 30 something years and uh it's pretty mind-blowing jack the the career you know the the people you've played with and and people you've played with that i never got a chance to see you play with but um but i i want to say going back to the 90s with certainly with tina turner and joe cocker and and the like i don't remember you coming to a joe show i know uh, you've come to a couple of tina shows when i was coming through but um well the I last remember. Yeah, I can tell you the last time, uh, and this will jog your memory, and the year was 2012. It was it was mm -hmm. 10 years ago, and I know this because it was my last summer at Zildjian, and it was a double bill with Joe Cocker and Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, man. Remember Those that? So, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And you came, you and you and Bill Gibson came to Zildjian. Oh, yeah. Day. Yeah. Yes, yes, we Got did. Great that was picture. great. And Gary... And Gary Grimm and uh, and my buddy Rob Davenport, who's who's uh, Bill's tech, and uh, I'm going to show you this awesome picture I have of the day you came to Zildjian, and uh, and then I came to this. I think the show was that night, or the, I think it was that night, and uh, and you killed it, man. It was. I think I'd seen you one time before that with Joe, but you're right. I'd seen you with Tina uh, several <coughs> times because my wife, of course, is a big Tina fan, so it would she'd be like. And yeah, you know, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, I remember seeing her there. But uh, that Huey Lewis Joe Bill was just so much fun to do. Those guys are so that band is just smoking all the time, every night. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know what a treat to hear you and um, that band. I mean, with Tina, it was it was all and all those gigs were different. I was going to show you this other picture of another time that I saw you with this is with Delbert McClinton. Uh, with Bonnie Raitt at the same venue at the at the outdoor on the water venue in Boston. Was that Delbert? I think it, or was it 
It was Taj um, Mahal. No, it was it was Taj Mahal. It Taj was the Mahal. Phantom Blues Band with Taj. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, yeah, that, Ricky Guitar, of course. Yeah, that was another. That that was just the whole thing was just a blast. And then hearing Ricky Guitar all the time, man. Yeah, Ricky. Well, that whole band. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's just got the most relaxed, in the pocket. You know, it, it's just so right. You know. Yeah. Well. Speaking of relaxing in the pocket, you know, I mean, not as relaxed as Ricky Fatar. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, Dave Maddox, by the way, sends his his very best and his love and his regrets that he's not able to to be here today. But we, you know, he's he's just one guy that your name would invariably come up whenever we talk about um, just. And I just I was about to say when I saw you on that particular night, I remember. The tune when Dave the was there, comes. was he not? Sorry, I think Dave was there that night. I believe yeah. he was. Yeah, that's right. Because he, yeah, he'd been living here at that time, had already moved here, and um, but just hearing you play those those like kind of medium tempo, even you know slow tempo tunes, where that's what separates, if you'll excuse the expression, the men from the boys. You know, when it comes to playing a groove, I mean, it's just like it's just it's so deep when you when you play and and. Uh, it's an inspiration. So I got to just tell you. Well, thanks. Well, the slower tempos come easier these days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do come easy, but they're not easy to play, you know. I mean, uh, to really play. <laughs> yeah, I can't reach maximum velocity anymore, or at least it's, it's down a notch, that's for sure. Oh, that that's too funny. That's too funny. Well, I wanted to find that other picture too. While we're while we're chatting about this, this great picture of of um, the Zildjian day, of the day that you guys came. Yeah, I had, uh, and there's that great picture that I I put part of it up. So I got a lot of Jack Bruno photos floating around here in my uh, in my world. Let's see. This is this is another great one from this is from Nashville in uh, 2011. That was a Zildjian day. That's right, when, Tom Gregg. When there were those things, yeah. That's right, yeah. And no offense to Tom, because he's a handsome guy, but with you, me, and Harry in one photo, it's it's pretty devastatingly handsome, I got to say. Yeah, it's like Mo, Larry, and Curly, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, too funny. Um, I want to just give a quick shout out to, I want to say hi to a friend of mine who you may or may not know, but uh, Rich Farrago, who's watching, who says hello to us. And I want to thank Rich because I just got a notification that I'm receiving a bass drum beater from him, I think today. Uh, he has this this company called Dynamic Bass Drum Beaters, and I'll hip you to them when we're done. And he makes this great product, and and I guess I'm getting an early Christmas present from my pal Rich. So, Rich, thank you. Uh, cool. I'm not familiar with him, but um, yeah, send me a link, or I'll, I'll just look him up. Yeah, I'll I'll send you the link. It's it's really cool. This he's an engineer, and he's designed this flex beater that's that's really cool. I I use it all the time, and. Uh, doesn't make me play any better, but it makes it feels nice when I play because I you you can't I could never play better, but it's it feels nice when you play it. The shaft is flexible. Yeah, he's got this. He's got this. Um, I'll I'll send you the link. You can read up on okay. it. It's it's a molded. Rich, forgive me if I if I give the wrong information, mm -hmm. but it's um, 
It allows it allows the thing to flex. Yeah, with this this. Actually, well, I can't really get out one right now, but uh, hello, Stephen Forresta from Nantasket Beach, right next door. All right, a distant cousin. I think he's uh, my second cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about that? Nant- that explains mm-hmm. Nantasket Beach. I thought he knew that I was in Cohasset, but I guess he knows you, so that explains it. Yeah, yeah. I had some family, uh, well, all around Boston, but yeah, a couple that that lived in uh, that had uh, at least a summer place in uh, Hall by Nantasket, yeah, and uh, still live down that way. So yeah, great little spot. Yeah, great, great little spot. Love Hall. We go there often. I used to play, um, my band used to play a gig there at uh, the old... Um, the Surf Nantasket? No, you're not that old, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I remember that place. But it was the, the Red Parrot, which was, a, it's it's oh, been uh, it's been bought and taken over by somebody else. But um, yeah, oh, that's a photo. That, that great shot from 2012. Yeah, great day. Pretty legendary with you and Bill and some some legendary drum techs in there too. Gary Grimm and Rob Davenport. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Gary's out now. He's out with uh, sting. He's been doing that for a while. I yeah, mean, that's certain. right. Yep. Yeah. Gary's great boy. Um, so talking about Boston, that's great. That a good segue that your, your cousin's watching because um, I know you're from, you grew up in Belmont, mm-hmm. Boston boy. And you must have been you must have been part of the scene here. You were talking about the place in Nantasket. Um, did you play a lot around town as a as a up and coming drummer? When I was uh, the Surf Nantasket, it is, uh, I was pretty young at that point when I was hearing a lot about the Surf Nantasket and never played there. There were bands like the Rock and Ramrods around. Uh, I can't remember who else was playing there, but it was a big spot, popular mm. place. But um, yeah, I started playing around town, in town, a, a lot. Um, when I was about 15, started going into town, playing some bars and coffee houses and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, uh, prior to that, just, you know, local, like frat parties and, mm-hmm. you know, and prior to that, just the usual, you know, high school dance stuff, you know, stuff that everybody does. You know? Yeah, yeah. But Boston was great. What a, uh, it was such a diverse uh, place, you know, to the music, the amount of music and the, and the different kinds of stuff that were floating around was just ridiculous at that point in time. In the mid-60s, that whole coffeehouse scene, um, the fact that there were all kinds of colleges and universities there, there, there was just all kinds of music going on, folky stuff. Bluegrass, blues, uh, you know. Uh, I remember seeing Butterfield Blues Band several times at the Unicorn, uh, Richie Havens, Odetta, you know, Charles River yeah. Valley Boys. Uh, boy, when the Jefferson Airplane first album came out, they played there several times. And it's just a little 250-seat coffee house uh, next to where the Jazz Workshop used to be. Sure, I don't know yeah. what's there anymore. So. Yeah, I, that's all... That's all. It's all know, gone, right? It's all gone. Yeah, yeah. It was well, such a, a cool. Yeah, what cool a great scene. time to be to be on the scene in in town. And I, you know, I, it's a little before me, but even, you know, by the even I started getting into it in the sort of early to mid seventies. 
um, a little bit in Boston, but you know, more in the outskirts, but there was still like a, there was such a scene. I remember as a kid, you know, I'd see ads in the paper, you know, all the clubs, like every night of the week, you could see a live band and, um, yeah, you know, there like was a lot of places. Yeah. yeah, there were, there's psychedelic supermarket. If you remember that one, um, God, uh, club 47 unicorn. Uh, yeah. those are the places that I, I was at most. And your old hang, uh, Whirlishes is right up the road from, uh, yeah. from the unicorn coffee house is right up on the corner. I remember it well. You might have been in there. I don't know. <laughs> My, I, I might have been just a little before me, but yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. But wow. And and so I promise I won't ask who your favorite drummer is because I know that's we're not going to go there. That's I, I, It's not <laughs> no, possible. I can't have possible. one. But who, who were some of the guys like when you when you started out, like what were who were some of the drummers that influenced you? Like what were you what were you listening to kind of in those days? You know, I, I, I don't even know who was playing on the stuff at the time that I was listening to. Cause yeah. you know, uh, we were listening to Motown stuff. I had no idea who those guys were, yeah, you know, yeah. we listened to four tops and temps and all that kind of stuff. And uh, besides, you know, the, the English bands that were popping at the time, you know, all of them. Uh, uh, but uh you know, after you find out who's on there, it's you know it's Bernard Purdy and uh, the the two Motown guys. What is it, Pistol Pete? Who's the other guy? I can't remember. Um, yeah, shoot, shoot, shoot. I'm gonna jog your memory a little. Yeah, I know, I know. I should know that. I know. Um, oh, uh, I, I I could I could look it up. There were like yeah, a couple of guys that did like the vast majority of all that stuff. But uh, that was early on. But prior to that, you know, I was just hearing, you know, I didn't know who I was listening to. I mean, I was hearing my brother was older than me. He had all kinds of albums. He had, uh, you know, he belonged to the uh, he was in the Navy. He belonged to that Columbia Record Club. You know, I can't remember, you know, where you get so many albums per month and he would, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff down there. Miles Davis sketches to Spain and, and uh, Dave Brubeck. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just was listening to a lot of different stuff. I didn't know who was playing, but later on I started paying more attention, you know, and I was like yeah. 16 and then, you know, started hearing, uh, you know, Jim Keltner and, uh, you know, Nigel Olson and, uh, and um and uh actually dm i I was a big fan uh of fairport i didn't know he was in it at that point in time but loved that band you know um that's cool that's yeah just all kinds of stuff all kinds of different stuff and then russ kunkel of course that whole era of of yeah section session guys you know that was i just loved that I love those loose Tom fills that Nigel used to do and Russell used to do. And uh, this is sort of, it seemed sloppy to me at the time, not, not sloppy, but it was loose. You know, I loved it, but it, it, it it wasn't, it was tighter than. I know exactly what you mean. I do. It it was, yeah, there was, that's the best way to explain it is like, it had this looseness to it um, that just made it feel like relaxed and, not sloppy, but sort of uh, just, yeah. It was just this great feel. The Tom Phils were yeah. cool. Nigel's Tom Phils used to just slay me. Was, oh, you know, yeah. all yeah. that stuff he used to play on. You know. 
Yeah. Still does. Uh, and, and so were you, you were self-taught? Uh, early on, I, I have uh, uh, several musicians in the family, one of which is my cousin, who's a drummer, you know, and played uh, professionally around Boston, was, a, you know, played legit gigs, uh, Yeah. you know, read, you know, played, uh, you know, my uncle was a contractor, band leader, they would play anybody who came to town, he would contract out the orchestras behind, you know, large, you know. Yeah. Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, anybody who came into town, Michael was usually one of the guys who was contracting a band. And then uh, they had the house band when there were dinner clubs uh, like Blindstrom's. I don't know if you remember that name. There was another yeah. one. Yeah. Steuben's. That's where it was. Anyway, he was like the Ricky Ricardo of Boston. You know, he was that yeah. guy. He was in like this dinner club all the time. But my cousin played all the time and got me started. Uh, you know, rudimentary stuff. Started reading little March books, uh, and then um, and that lasted for a few years until I was about twelve and joined this rock and roll band. And then it all went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I quit the reading. At. It all stopped. You know, yeah. I just started playing. You know, I was playing Ventures tunes, and, and <laughs> it was yeah. all over. You're like, I don't have to read music. I can, you know, this is what I know. But it's it's great you had that, that you know, at least that that uh, initial uh, education. You know, absolutely. That, that, I wish yeah. I I did more of it, honestly, even in later years. But um, I also used to get to sit in, you know, when there's a little charity event, and my uncle would play. You know, have a little band there, and you know, he'd let me come play a couple of tunes, you know, little Dixieland stuff, you know, yeah. our drum intro. And, you know, when those guys wanted to rock, they played Dixieland stuff, you know, yep. That, yep. that's when they, and they, they were swinging. They were great. They were great players. But, I'll uh, bet. Yeah. Yeah. It was, fun. was your, was your cousin's name Tony? <laughs> yeah. There's a million Tonys in my family. Yeah. Tony's yeah. and Maria's. Yeah. Okay. Cause that Tony, I, th I think it's the same Tony that I knew later that had a little uh, music store in Malden? He, he did. I, I wasn't around at that point, but I don't know how long that lasted. Um, yeah. He did have a little music store. I remember him. I, I went in there a few times in the, in the early 80s, and uh, I was still living in Boston. Well, I'm, I live here now, but I, I'd moved to L.A. in the mid-80s. But I remember I worked at a, opened a little shop not far from him, and um, I guess it was in Malden or it was in an Everett. I don't know, but Tony had his Malden sounds right. Yeah, his place was, I think, ABC Music or something like that. And I, I was never there. I, I just remember hearing about it. Yeah, like a, what, like a. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, like a what? I was going to say it was like a, a small shop. I, I, I think he sold like um, drums and and other maybe a few instruments, but definitely you know had lessons going out of there, and it was more of like a, um, like your typical mom and pop shop where like they had the you know, had the lesson thing happening and sheet music sure. and, and yeah. all that. Yeah. Did they have accordions? They must've had accordions. I think so. Know. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think guitar, you know, guitar strings and, yeah. and uh, probably saxophone reeds or something. And, and uh, it seems like anybody who started playing music when I was a kid started playing on the accordion, uh, at least in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, well, it was, it was definitely, thing. yeah, it was a thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had a quarter box, Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. So did Hysteria. you? Um, 
Yeah. Mark Beckett says the great Jack Bruno. I got to agree with you, Mark. Um, so did you, did you at a point, Jack, did you kind of like, this is probably like a really dumb question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We're friends. You won't, you won't think I'm, I'm crazy for asking it. Um, I might. Did you, <laughs> you might. <laughs> at some point, did you kind of realize that you could be a lot more successful just like, you know, not like you play with so much soul and so much feel and you know, like you're not, you know, you, you, you don't ever seem to have wanted to go in the route of like being flashy and busy and uh, which is a, t you know, when you're a young drummer, you, everybody wants to sort of play that way at some point, I would think, you know, but I guess what I'm asking is when did you kind of realize that you could be Jack Bruno, a lot more successful playing the way you play? I, I I don't know if I was ever flashy. I, I remember doing drum solos up until, you know, maybe I was 16. That was probably the last time I did a drum solo, maybe 17. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it, no, and that's probably just part of my personality. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm introverted. I, I'm more of an introvert than, yeah. than that. So no, I'm not a flashy player uh, at all. Um, so it wasn't a conscious decision. I didn't decide to just, uh, but I am happy not to do drum solos because <laughs> you know, I, I suck at it. You know? <laughs> I don't. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could manage four, eight bars, you know, that's about it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's, no, I, I, I had a feeling that was, I mean, that knowing your personality, knowing you the way I do, I, I, I don't see you that way. And I just wondered if there was like a, you know, like a, a point where you kind of realized that the guys that were hiring you to play in bands dug the, the way you play and, and like, don't mess with the recipe, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's, no, it, I don't think it was a conscious thing. I mean, I'd always just played in a band, you know, it wasn't until I moved to LA that I it tried to sort of, you know, get gigs as a independent drummer. So, uh, and I just uh, played the way I played. I didn't, you know, I, I uh, it sort of got refined as time went, you know, and, and I learned and heard more. It was a great learning time for me in Los Angeles, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, at that point in the mid 70s, it was a great, great time to be there. But um, yeah, I learned a lot there about not playing. But I was, you know, just because of my uh, skills or the level of my skills or lack thereof, I just was always a meat and potatoes guy, you know, man, we all wish we could. Be... I'm all, and I'm good. I'm good. With it. I'm, yeah. You know. Well, no kidding, man. I, I, we all wish we could be meat and potatoes like that. I, I know I do. I know I do. So, so you, and that was one of the questions I knew you'd lived in LA for a long time. Uh, you moved there in the mid seventies thereabouts. Yeah, the summer of 76, I moved there from upstate New York. I was living in upstate New York with my wife, who recently got married, uh, living on this farm. I was uh, flipping burgers in a restaurant and playing bars on weekends. And I had a few friends who lived in L.A., former bandmates. And one guy sent me a, a, a Sunday L.A. Times, and he said, come on out. You should come out, you know. And we did. We got a van, we packed up the stuff, put two dogs in there, just drove out. Wow, man. Yeah. <clears throat> and how how soon um, 
you know, how soon after you got there did things start to happen for you? I mean, did you did you start playing with some folks pretty quick? And I I knew uh, I started meeting people fairly quickly. Um, one guy I knew and still know who was in our band uh, in Boston way back in the day. A guy named Jeff Levis, great piano player who at the time was playing with uh, Bonnie Raitt, was living in L.A. Okay. And yeah. um, he introduced me to a couple of people. He actually got me a little audition with Van Morrison, which is my first kind of big audition. And that was pretty damn weird anyway. I, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't do that gig uh, or didn't get that gig. But, uh, but Jeff you know, introduced me to a couple of guys and it just, you know, it snowballs. You, you just start playing and doing a bunch of stuff with, you know, people you meet and meeting more people. Well, you know, the drill, you just, it just, you just keep on, you know, meeting people. Hopefully they'll pass your number along and, you know, get you involved in other situations. So just yeah, kind of, yeah. I believe that's how it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. Good old networking and, and you know it certainly helps if if you can if you can back it up you know you come in and you can show you know you can play and and being a good guy too you know that's a that's an important part of it yeah well you know it's part of the process and and what you do does it doesn't work for everybody so you know it's 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 just the way it is you're you're yeah your style, your time, your feel, whatever your feels it's just it, it's not for everyone but what what was the what was the sort of first um big gig that you landed when you got to la that, that you would consider like a you know a pretty like a turning point type thing uh you know i was i had done you know been in house bands where we would play behind you know uh, these these variety type shows uh with bigger names, older names, but bigger names, you know, like Chuck Berry and, and mm. Little Anthony and stuff like that. Th that was a blast. But actually, the uh, so I had played with some, you know, known names, but, you know, older cats. But, um, excuse me. Actually, the turning point for me was probably when I got Tina's gig, you know, that was in 1981. That kind of changed my path, put my wow. Yeah, on a tour path um, for a few years, and then I stopped. Um, went back to LA, <clears throat> and uh, you know, took my chances back there. Because Tina's gig seemed like it's like this gig isn't going anywhere. I've been doing this for like three years. I'm playing clubs, you know, six nights a week or hotel ballrooms, two shows a night. It's like I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. So anyway, wow, I bailed. Yeah. But luckily. I got a call back. So anyway, I, yeah, I headed back to LA and just bouncing around town, just you know, restarting the process, just yeah. trying to find more work. And and you ended up playing with Tina. I mean, over thirty years, right? Was it? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, she she. I was fortunate that you know she really liked me, and she um, she liked having familiar faces behind her. You know, there was a rhythm section back there that you know we played with her for a while um so yeah I, I was lucky in that respect so she she liked having a band she liked having her own drummer you know and 
her own guys and you know she liked that just having yeah. her, her band back there you know That's, she, she wasn't yeah. always hiring new people you know every tour two tours you know like some people do right. uh so it worked out it was great nice to have a gig that long i don't know if that happens anymore but sure i don't was think nice. it does jack yeah i, I was going to say that that is so huge and i think about that and <clears> i i wasn't sure how far back um you went with tina because i you know i i know the last time I saw you with her was probably, uh, you know, the sort of early, early mid two thousands or something like that. And I knew you'd had the gig for a, a long time at that point, but, um, but I think but, the last, yeah, what was yeah, the, last? the last tour we did was, Oh, seven, Oh eight or Oh eight or nine. I can't remember now. Yeah. Uh, that was her last tour. And I was surprised that actually happened and prior to that. I think we did one in 2000. And that was it. I thought she was done. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure I saw that last tour. Um, I, I feel like we were, we were yucking it up before the show with Gary Grimm making fun oh, of Kenny like, Aronoff. I think we were, we were picking <laughs> on Kenny Aronoff. <laughs> well, Kenny, uh, Joe Cocker was on the, uh, bill with Tina for a while and Kenny was playing drums you know, uh, oh, at that okay. point in time. Yeah. Well, I had been playing drums, but I couldn't do both. Um, I, I would have tried, <laughs> but I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. But Kenny was playing, but yeah, Kenny's such a knucklehead. You know, oh, he love that guy. Yeah. He's, a, he's, he's really fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I, I, but to your point, I, I don't think any artist, uh, you know, at the level that Tina, or really not even at the level she's at, but certainly at that level, they, it's, it's, rare that they would keep the same core you know musicians that long and i think it's great i i i think it's fantastic that she it, it to me it makes sense but often you'll have an md as you know it's it's kind of the md will come in and want to have his favorite bass player or drummer and absolutely and those kinds yeah of yeah absolutely and uh yeah. we didn't really with tina we didn't really have an md per se for the for years, um, wow. you know, she'd bring tunes in and and uh, we'd work them out. And she was kind of the MD, actually. She she had, you know, uh, she knew exactly what she wanted to do with it, you know. And it, it usually incorporated uh, her her dancing stuff. I mean, it was mm -hmm. very important that she'd get all that worked into the song arrangement. So. Those two went together. It wasn't until later on that we actually had uh, one of our keyboard players was the was the official MD. Um, but prior to that, no. We had uh, a guitar player who who started the gig when I did, uh, a guy named James Ralston, and uh, who was sort of, I guess, you could kind of call him an, M an MD. I, I think he was kind of more of an interpreter for Tina. <laughs> She she didn't speak in musical terms, you know. She just you know she she would have, yeah. can you know try and get her ideas across, and you know usually Jim would understand you know what what she was you know yeah. trying to accomplish and would yeah. tell us you know so oh that's cool uh, yeah yeah so anyway Tina was the MD did she offer like input to you as the drummer like in terms of like her dance um, absolutely yeah yes. yeah dance thing was huge to her maybe more important than the singing but um sorry 
something somebody is I'm getting phone ringing in my earphones. Um, uh, yes, there there were holdover fills from Ike and Tina days that she wanted to hear when they were doing certain dance steps, you know. So she would ask me to to do these rolls around the toms and yeah, in uh, uh, you know at certain points of tunes, you know, not just rolls around the toms, but you know fills. She always wanted a flam too. It, you know, that real old school R&B yeah. thing where you do a flam at the top of the verse and bring it down. You know, so she wanted those dynamics and it and it worked in some tunes, but not in other tunes. You know, it's like, I can't flam there. You, know, <laughs> you want to flam at the top of, you know, the verse of what's love got to do with that? <laughs> it I don't sounds, think it's going to work. You know, it's yeah, going to be sounds, one of those tight, funky R&B tunes where it's like, pop. You know, yeah, yeah. Bringing it down and it's just great and dynamic. but. Yeah, she yeah. had that thing, and certainly feels around her dance step. Yeah, I I remember the band being really dynamic and and uh, and, and like fast. It, yeah, well, I was going to say, <laughs> and at times you were really slamming too, right? I mean, there were like tunes where you were like, you know, it wasn't like you were just kind of sitting back a lot of the time and just playing, right? I mean, I feel like there were times when you were really. Hitting. No, we played hard. I played hard all the time, yeah. and, and it was fast. Um, all the time usually sometimes it was never fast enough but it was (laughs) i'd reach maximum velocity a couple of times you know it's like i don't think i could play this any faster damn it wow (laughs) that's funny man like she she must be just a ball of energy like you know that's that's kind of the antithesis of typically what us drummers deal with with the singer kind of going it's too fast you know slow down i can't (laughs) say it but yeah but she's like faster yeah (laughs) That's great. It was yeah. always faster. It was rarely slower, but yeah, you know, it was always faster. And most nights, somewhere in in the middle of the show, you get the sign to pick it up. You know, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's you know, old school show tempos. Everything's quicker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. even if it messes with the groove, it didn't matter. You know, uh, just the way it was. You know, you listen to old. James Brown live shows. It's like, holy shit, the groove's gone. But it was just a million yeah. miles an hour. You know, all those great funky ass grooves they used to do. Gone. But, you know, show tempo. They show tempo. try to create yeah. that excitement with speed, you know, but yeah, it didn't yeah. work for me. But that was the gig. You know, so I did it. <laughs> yeah, that's what she wanted. It, you know, she was, she, yeah, made her comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and when did you start playing with Joe? And because that was a pretty steady, it seemed like when you weren't on tour with Tina for a number of years, like you were on tour the next year with Joe or, you know, it seemed like. Yeah. The timing was brilliant. Uh, I started playing with Joe in 1992 and there were a couple of guys in Joe's band that had played in Tina's band. So that's kind of how I kind of drifted over to Joe. Fortunately, Uh, and they had the same manager. So I, I don't think it was planned that way. certainly not for me. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, it seemed like there was never a conflict. There, there were a couple of small ones that w- got worked out, but no. Yeah, if Tina was in, uh, you know, the way it worked out, Joe was going out, and it, it was great. Yeah. Um, so there was another guy that, you know, liked having his own people back there, familiar faces. Um, 
it, it was just a cool gig that way besides yeah. the other ways but you know he just liked having his band you know yeah and it was cool although it did change through the years but so does tina's for that matter yeah and and that was i mean i i would look at that as kind of a departure from tina's gig in terms of joe's style you know joe cocker's music and and that was really like not that Tina wasn't all pocket because it had to be pocket, but I just think of Joe's gig is like you were really just playing this. Yeah, really, yeah. Just, you got to lay it down more. I got to to lay yeah. it down more. There wasn't worried about you know things being too fast or too slow. I mean, the tempos were, you know, once you locked stuff in with Joe, he was fine. He he liked it. You know, you had some leeway, but he didn't like it. I don't want to say he didn't like it, but he he. He did things the same, you know, the arrangements never changed. And once the set list was locked in, that usually yeah. didn't change. You might change yeah. a, a tune or two, but, you know, it stayed the same. And it was, uh, I wish there were there were more substitutions because he had so many cool tunes, you know, that I, know. I just really wanted to play, but he just wasn't, wasn't going to do it. You know, he had the same, I don't know, five, six tunes that he kind of had to do. He was, right. he was, you know, longtime favorites, and then some tunes from his latest release, and they they narrow down those newer tunes and uh, get a set list, and it would stay there. That would be the set list, you know. But for the whole tour, it, it was a, yeah, pretty much the whole tour. And but it was always a blast to play. I love playing his old tunes. Always love playing his old. Oh tunes, yeah, so. yeah, man. You know, and and they're they're. They're timeless, you know. They really are. Like you, you can uh, listen to those songs, you know, fifty years later, and they're just, they're just. So well, great. all those old Leon Russell arrangement tunes, you know, the yeah. from Mad Dogs and those tunes are just killer. Those arrangements are killer. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. Fun stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and with with this with the Joe Cocker stuff. Were you responsible for like counting the tunes off? Mm. Pretty much. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I had a metronome. I, I you know, for tempos, and we yeah. just uh, count them off. We didn't use the metro metronome or not throughout the whole tune. Um, we used. There were a couple of times when we had to use. Um, tracks accompanying tracks it might be a percussion thing or some strings that we didn't have or something that the guy keyboard player and oftentimes there were two keyboard players but just couldn't cover uh yeah. you know so there would be a if you did a, a U, uh, u2 song uh it's called the one i can't remember anyway there's a couple of times we had those kind of hip-hoppy loops going on in the background that you had to play along with stuff like that but for the most yeah. part Joe was it was all real, you know. Everybody yeah. was playing in real time. Beautiful. And yeah. Joe never, you know, never said anything about. Never complained really about anything, you know, tempos or anything. That once in a great while, he'd say, you know, at the end of the show, hey, hey, hey Jack, was that not a little quick? You know that song, or that that would be it. You know, I just you know checked the metronome. And, you know, maybe I just felt it a little different tonight. I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, he was pretty sensitive to it. So usually yeah. singers yeah. are. You know, they feel it when they're phrasing. 
So um, he, you know, I would just assume he was right. Yeah, it was, probably was, if you're saying so. And yeah. and, I, and another thing I learned about Joe was he was very, very <clears throat> um, pretty quiet guy. And uh, if he did say something, you know, to you about whatever, he would probably have been thinking about it for a while. So mm-hmm. pay attention. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. I did. You know, but he never said squat. Although, oh, one time at the end of uh, Crimea River, it was this kind of this outro, this, sh- you know, just this great sh- sh- quick shuffle outro. And when, when it, when we got into the outro, the top of the outro, instead of playing a straight up shuffle, there's four on the floor on the kick drum, I uh, started playing this uh, fat tire shuffle, you know, boom, 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 you know. And, yeah. and I thought it was cool, you know. So, but, <laughs> but, like, and I think I had recently discovered fat tire shuffles at that point in time. I was like, wow, this is great. Fat tire shuffle is going to work. And at the end of the, at the, later in the night, he said, Jack, what was that gay beat you played at the end of Crime? <laughs> All right. I got the message. <laughs> oh, but, man. And he was a blues guy. He loved, you know, he loved the Rootsy stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Not in that particular place with that particular song. <laughs> All right. I won't be doing that one again. But I, I could see why you'd be the perfect drummer for him, you know, because when you look at, like you said, all those old tunes, Leon Russell arranged tunes with, with Jim Gordon or Gordon and Keltner or all the great those drummers. Guys. He's I, yeah. But, but you're, you're, you're in that same school, you know what I mean? You're in that same, you're like the next generation after them, but, but it's like you guys all share the same brain when it comes to how you approach playing for the song. And that's, you know, that's, that's what I, and you know, everybody watching loves about you is you, you're, you, it's about the music. It's about the song for you. And, and that's the, yeah, f- well, I try to make it that way. I mean, it doesn't always work out, you know, you know, <laughs> you know for the best, but yeah, that's, that's what I, I aim to do, but you know, to, but somebody like Keltner and, and Jim Gordon are, the way they kind of weave it and out of stuff. It's like, wow, I'm just pretty straight ahead with my stuff. And I'm, way more simple and i think that's part partly why it well, probably most of the reason why it worked well for just singers because i'm just i'm out of the way you know you got a backbeat it feels yeah. right uh, i'm not stepping on anybody's stuff you know so it, it, it worked in that sense yeah, yeah. well you're uh, you know i'm not surprised by your humility but uh well no it's just yeah. it's true you know it's just i'm i'm not it's a simple approach, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to dig a hole and, you know, make a, make a groove and, and stay there, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. hang on, hold steady, you know, and uh, don't play too many groove interrupter fills, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I, love, I do too. I heard that. I don't, that. you know, those groove interrupters. Yeah. Don't do those. You know, I never heard that. I'm going I'm to borrow that from you. Groove interrupters. Yeah. I got to remember that. Um, and I, I was going to say one of the other times I remember seeing you, it might've just been like for one summer you did this, but you came through town with Peter Frampton one summer. Did you see I, that? I did. I came out to see you. Wow. And, um, and I'll just say this too, for everybody watching. And I, I hope this doesn't get you in trouble, but, um, you might. 
I, I might, but I don't care. <laughs> when, whenever you played in Boston, which is where you have, uh, you know, a huge family still, you were always so generous with like tickets. I'd say, Jack, listen, if you got a, cause I, I, I would talk to other drummers and they'd say, well, my, my, I got relatives here in Boston, so I don't know if I can get tickets. And I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. But you would always say, Johnny D, I got you, man. Don't worry. You know? And, um, I think that night at Frampton, if I'm not mistaken, it was at Great Woods. I know that for sure. And I think I met a lot of your family. You had a lot of family that night and you were. Uh, I can't there. remember that particular big at Great Woods. He was opening for Journey. So oh, I, okay. I, don't, um, I don't remember that one. And it was just a really short summer tour for me. Um, but um, yeah, my family would be at, uh, you know, it, it, fortunately, the, the, especially with uh, Cocker and Tina, the, the ticket thing was, you know, everybody got four tickets. Whoever wasn't using their tickets in the band, you could say, hey, if you're not using this, can I, can I get them? Yeah. So, you know, if I'd come to some place like Boston, and you know, I'd end up with, <laughs> I need 17 tickets. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I need some volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, it worked out. They didn't yeah, have... Yeah. Uh, as many that, relatives as I did in Boston, but yeah, of course, you know, you, wow. I, I had, you had to come. Uh, I, you know, at least uh, I had to offer, it, you, you know, and you came whether you wanted to see it or not. That was nice. Of course I did. Of course. And I always <laughs> wanted to see you and I always, it was a thrill to hear you play. And, and I remember the, the Frampton gig, we were sitting having dinner and catering and you introduced me to the late, great Bob Mayo who oh, was at our table. Oh, yeah. Bob yeah, and I and I, I'd met him briefly when he was with Holland Oates, like many years before. I, I he didn't remember, but we sat and we chatted for a long time, and he was so nice. And we talked about the original drummer with Frampton, um, John Siomos, and that was that was Peter's favorite. Him, him yeah. and uh, Chad Cromwell, those were yeah. his guys, as far as far as I know. He, he, they were he was pretty picky about drummers. Uh, Very, yeah, yeah. He had he had a lot. Uh, through the years, you know, that just kind of went by the wayside, including me. So, uh, <laughs> well, he he seemed he seemed to just, you know, yeah, he seemed to to want to try different guys because I I know of a, several drummers that had the chair at one time or another, and I think you're right. He just he just liked the fact that he lived in Nashville and there were a lot of great drummers in town, and he could, you know. Yeah, he always had uh, uh, John Regan uh, and and Bob Mayo. He always had those. The drummers changed a lot through the years. Uh, yeah, but uh, those two guys were always there. You know? um, and I had no beyond. You know, Frampton comes alive. I I really wasn't. I hate to admit, I really wasn't familiar with his history. You know, humble pie stuff and what a great rock and guitar player he was. It wasn't until I started playing his tunes that I realized yeah. you know, how great he was you know, as a player. But I just remember those tunes, you know, that's going come, some of them, the most popular ones, it's like, yeah, eh, yeah, they're, they're okay. Yeah. But man, he could rock. He could rock. Yeah. And, and how, I know that was a while ago, but how did that come about? Like, did he, you know, like, did he, did he call you? He had, he, had he seen no. you play with, with, Je with Joe? I, I, or, or? I'm not exactly sure how my name got passed. I got a call from his manager here in Nashville. 
uh, asking if I wanted to come and do an audition. And I, I was in between stuff. I wasn't doing anything, as I recall. And I can't remember what year that was, actually. But um, yeah, I, I don't said, yeah of course. And I went and played a few tunes, three or four tunes. Jim Hamlin was there. Uh, you know Jim Hamlin? Yeah, sure. And, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> he's the only guy I I knew at that point. But um, yeah, I did an audition. And I didn't hear from him. I knew the tour was going to start. It was getting really close. And I thought, wow, I I don't know if I got this gig. Or I don't know what's going on here. So, because um, they had auditioned several people. And maybe they just, or he couldn't decide. I'm not sure. But it was, seemed like it was real last minute. I got on the phone and said, her name was Lisa. I said, so, no, what's happening? I, I thought, you know, it seemed like you wanted me to do this thing, but I haven't heard, you know, from anybody. And she said, oh, no, we want you to do it. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> Sorry, my ESP isn't working well today. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's And did you did you have like a week? To, how long did you have to rehearse? Was there some time? Oh, boy. To... I don't remember, uh, honestly. Um, he seems like he would want to rehearse from from what I know of him, that he's pretty meticulous but i could i could have that wrong we rehearsed i can't remember how long it was i'm sure there was a lot of homework involved for me you know shedding those tunes and which is usually the case i'm um you know learning tunes on my own before i go into a rehearsal um but just the way it seems like it's always been you don't have that sort of yeah luxury of going in cold with anybody no, you know no, just yeah. like hey let's listen to this tune yeah let's play this one you know like, you know <laughs> kind of learn it with everybody else, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that doesn't happen. I don't think at all anymore. Does it? I'm always I, I, learning tunes before the fact. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I think with, you know, the cost of having to get a, you know, a rehearsal space, you know, all the things related that we know about, they'd want you to come in, know the tunes, bang it out in a, in a, in a day or two, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and with Peter's gig, I, I you know, I would think that music, that it's a, a little more, you know, you're playing maybe a little bit more in that than you might with Joe, and right? I mean, it's absolutely. Fills, it it, it was different for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. I, I was having to play a little more stuff. I was having to play a couple of things that didn't feel natural to me that I had to work on. Um, you know, I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't in my, you know, comfort my big comfort zone, you know, mm -hmm. so I had, I had to work at it for sure. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of things that he, he wanted to hear, you know, offbeat hi-hats and, you know, uh, you know, that I had to practice to, to yeah. make work, you know, so, uh, but you know, it, it, it worked out, you know, at least for the summer, I, I certainly one of his, wasn't one of his favorites, but you know, I was I was at least amongst a long list of guys who, you know, didn't last for very long. So I, 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 I up, yeah, I, I ended up doing a few one-offs after that, um, after that tour. But you know, and then he went on to do. Well, I started doing other stuff. Yeah. I can't remember who, in general or whatever. Yeah, I I thought I, you know, and my recollection was. You brought your you brought your groove to it that you know I'd I'd seen many other drummers with him I don't know if I ever saw Chad but um, 
a great drummer that I think he's used quite a lot in the last uh, however many years. You might know Dan Wojciechowski. Um, I don't know him, and uh, but I've seen uh, like song videos of him playing. Yes. Yeah, he, really he was, good drummer. He was great. Yeah. And there's a live VD, DVD, sorry, of, uh, of Peter in, uh, I want to say it's Detroit, which is something they gave me to learn tunes with, and Chad was playing. And it was just yes. slamming. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. he just needed me to play more. And, you know, sometimes playing more for me just. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, you know, I know what you mean. I'm, yeah, I'm not a play more kind of guy sometimes. You know, yeah, so it's, it's feel... funny. I know to have to have the the band leader kind of saying, you know, the opposite of probably what a lot of people would say, which is play some more, play more, you know, play more shows. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Do I have so. to? <laughs> <laughs> Don't and make I, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and late, and so just kind of bringing it up to more recent in the last. Probably the last couple of years you've been playing with Jim Messina of Logmas. Well, no, not even a couple of years. Actually, I, I went out with him uh, two times. I did two runs with him, a six gig run. And just more recently, in early November, we did uh, two weeks, did ton shows. So just a couple of times. But there's more yeah. in store uh, coming up next year, starting in February. So he does these two-week runs. He wants to do about eight or ten shows a month. Not every month. He's talking about doing 80 shows next year. So wow, that's plenty for me. Um, yeah. I'm okay with two-week runs. I'm good with that. I don't need to do, you know, not that I turn one down, but I don't, I don't need to do, you know, months-long tours, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but doesn't seem like there's many of those floating around these days. Uh, there's different factors, you know, age yeah. being one and just, <laughs> uh, you know, just the, the lack of a lot of tours, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the tour, just business. the way the music business changed, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I know. I know. It's a, it's a different, I mean, from your perspective as a as a player, but even just me as a guy that used to go to a lot of shows all the time to see guys like you at, it it really you saw the progression of it really kind of I don't want to say shrinking but it it you know changing. You know, well, it did change, and you know when I was you know getting some work, there was there were more you know singers out front, you know somebody like Joe or Tina or other people, but um, and then you could start shifting to bands, you know more bands, and it's kind of. It just kind of seems like it stayed that way for the most part. Um, but it's nice to see some sort of legacy bands still out there playing and just rocking, you know, just yeah, killing yeah. it. You know, it's great. Uh, that is, yeah, I know, I know. And, I, and I, I feel like, I feel like those legacy bands have, have proven that they can stand, you know, they're going to, they're going to always be there, you know. A, There's a reason. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even, you know, my, my, my heroes, the Rolling Stones, without Charlie, you know, they've kind of, to me, they've defied the odds by continuing, you know, without Charlie, with Steve Jordan, and and people are still going that out was, to see that. That was that was a leap, uh, but you know, yeah, they couldn't yeah. have picked a more perfect guy for the gig, you know, exactly. Other than me and you, you were busy. <laughs> yeah, of course, that goes without saying. 
<laughs> yeah, they could, no, you're right. I mean, he was the perfect guy, is the perfect guy, Steve Jordan. Yeah, you know, and you could just tell right from the, uh, what was the, the uh, fabulous, was it the fabulous winos? I can't remember. Keith expensive Richard's winos. Had. The expensive winos, expensive yeah. Winos, that yeah. stuff just slayed me. That slop was oh, so yeah. beautiful. Uh, yeah, I know, I and, know. And, and Steve was just right in there with that stuff. It was so great. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to just read a couple of comments. Um, Roy Brown said, saw you with Delbert. It was great. Richie Burns is asking if you're coming to Europe in the future. I wish. Yeah. Uh, I miss lots it. Of, yeah, lots of, yeah. I just, I, we, Kelly and I went to Italy. I think I told you that back. We were there in October uh, for a week and it was, we hadn't been to Europe in, gosh, since 2018, I think, or and hadn't been to London since 2019. We were there a week and a half ago. And just to your point, it's just felt so good to be back over there, you know, and, and uh, you know, just that the whole feeling that you get when you're in those places. It, it, yeah, it is great. I love being there. I, I, yeah. I mean, it just got to a point where, you know, we do, if we were touring over there, it just became, a, a, you know, the highlight was, uh, you know, Oh, we get to go to this restaurant over here and you know, whatever city we're in, you know, remember that we're going back, you know, it's a, yeah. it became a you know, it was a tour of restaurants, you know, with some gigs <laughs> involved. <laughs> it's so funny how how many of you guys, you know, that becomes a thing, you know, when you're yeah, oh, we're going back to Barcelona. We're gonna go back to that place, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, uh no, I I I, I you know, in a much smaller scale, I got that way with traveling myself, you know, when I you travel yeah. a lot. You you did a lot of dinners. I'm I sure. Did. I did a lot uh, of dinners in my old job, and I and I would know. Yeah, I'm going to Seattle. I'm going to this place. I'm going to be, you know, in San Francisco. I'm going to this place, and yeah. Did you do more international stuff? Uh, you know, besides maybe the the music mess in Frankfurt. Did you go over and do? <clears throat> excuse me. I I know you did some clinic tours with you know like. Steve Gadd and stuff like yeah. that. But uh, did you go over there just, you know, besides that, did you have to go over there and do biz for Zildjian? I did um, a couple of things um, outside. We The Steve Gadd thing covered, gosh, I think 10 countries over like three weeks um, during the fall of 2010. So we hit a lot of spots, but I'd, I'd go to, to London a couple of few times a year for, you know, regular business. We had, well, Zildjian has an office there. And it was the first off. place that got signed. Zildjian was in London. Oh, with Colin. It was. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, with, with Colin Schofield. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize. I thought it was out in L.A. Wow. That's so cool. No, so I, I would go there because that, that office reported into me. So I'd be out there a lot in L.A., of course, every every month or couple of months I'd be out in L.A. But um, go to Paris uh, to do events, go to Italy. You know, lousy places where the food and wine's terrible. I'd find yeah, myself. Yeah, I, I know. You wanted to get back home and get some fried chicken somewhere <laughs> and you know, meatloaf. <laughs> not, that, not that that's a bad thing. No, no. I like not. I like meatloaf and fried chicken, but you know, they don't have it in Italy. They don't have <laughs> it. No. Hey, no. nice meatballs. You know. <laughs> that's right. You won't find a a Kentucky fried chicken in in Italy. I promise you. Although you oh, see him, you, I you started seeing the fast food thing in Paris. Uh, it was kind of disappointing when they started popping up years ago. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, not this, you know. 
and uh, McDonald's and KFC and all that stuff started showing up. And I think as a result, Parisians got fatter in general. They don't, <laughs> they just like eating, Americans. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? I know. Oh, that's too funny. Well, and and so besides um, the work that you're doing with, with uh, Jim Messina, you're still keeping busy around town, around Nashville? Not so much. Gigs. I mean, a little bit when I, when, you know, I get a call to play. I played a, actually a, a Delbert's uh, songwriting partner, the guy who wrote a bunch of tunes for Delbert. Gary Nicholson has this, uh, this uh, persona, this playing persona named Whitey Johnson. And he'll, I'm not the regular guy, but I've done several gigs with him, which are a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of Delbert-like stuff, yeah. uh, which I love. Uh, but uh, we, we were supposed to do one Jeez, it was just a few weeks ago in a little town close to here called Leapers Fork. Great little place. Got a cool club there. And uh, But Gary got sick. And uh, Rick Vito, I don't know if you're familiar with Rick as a guitar player. Sure, yeah. Um, he, he lives in Leapers Fork. So we ended, it ended up being a Rick Vito evening, which was great. Rick Vito's just wonderful. Great guitar player. Oh man, yeah, yeah. A really different cat, and and the slide playing—it's just stellar. And yeah. tunes were fun to play, but yeah, some stuff. Um, you know, everything just kind of stopped. You know, during COVID, like it did for everybody. But um, and I'm really, you know, not that I did a lot of stuff here. I did some. Uh, it, it seemed like I was always, you know after a tour I'd come here and I really didn't want to do anything right away. I was just kind of, my kids were younger. I'm trying to spend time with my family cause I was gone so much. And, um, but you know, I do some stuff, but, um, you know, the Messina thing was, it, it came by just in time. So, mm -hmm. uh, cause Delbert, Delbert, who I, I absolutely loved and, and loved from before I got the chance to work with him. Uh, retired you know he's like oh. 79 when the pandemic started and it just he sold a bus and he was done with the road stuff and he's happy uh he's still i didn't recording. i didn't i didn't realize that that he retired from from touring but i i understand yeah yeah he never really toured he just you know it was a nashville weekend thing that was it's very common here you know you go out on a you leave town on a Thursday night, like you often uh, midnight, at least for Delbert and with a lot of people, you know, you hop on the bus, you go to wherever, uh, you do a gig on Friday, do another one on Saturday and you're coming home on Sunday. It happens. You see it a lot. In fact, when you're coming home, you know, on an interstate, you'll see, you know, the buses are coming in like fishing boats coming back oh, to the so... harbor, you know, <laughs> you know that's too funny. a lot of them with trailers in the back, a lot of country buses, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, that that was common. He never really toured, but he stopped doing that, and he's happy. Although we got a um, a cruise that um, we used to do every year uh, that got the Delbert ended up selling, but uh, he was uh, I think he was obligated to do one more, and COVID got in the ways. But we're going to do it this January. So oh, great! One more time, one more yeah. week out on a boat, which will be fun. Hopefully, everybody will stay healthy. Yeah, um, yeah. Because boats are like you know, floating incubators. You know, you know, stuff yeah. travels around fast. It's like being on a tour bus when somebody gets sick, you're gonna get sick. You know, I know, so. I know, I know. Well, hopefully, <laughs> they seem like they've they've 
as best they can figure that out now, you know, with, with boats and, and. Oh, they're pretty cautious. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I just, you know, it's kind of up to the individual now. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they can do, you know, they do as much as possible, including this particular cruise. They need a negative COVID test three days, taken three days before the ship leaves, but which is good. I mean, I guess it helps, but, you know, you can certainly pick up COVID inside of a couple of days or excuse me, before the cruise. But, um, you know, people just need to be, hopefully they'll be, you know, smart about it if they start feeling sick on the boat, just kind of at least put on a mask if you're going to yeah. start, you know, roaming around in public places with everybody. Exactly. But you're in close quarters, you know. Hopefully, we'll see. I know I have lots of friends who've been out on cruises with no issues so far. But it's, it's winter now, or coming into it, you know, and more people are inside. And supposedly, that's the time when things tick up. At least they have in like New York City. So we'll see. We'll see. Yep. Fingers. It's crossed. a crapshoot. Yeah. Well, as we as we wrap things up, I want to read one quick question from uh, Anthony Casina, who watches all the time. So I really want to. Make sure we get to Anthony's question because he's he's a he's a a uh, regular listener viewer. He said, uh, "Just asking you, Jack. What are you focused on these days to improve your playing? Pro- improve your yes, improve your playing." Um, you know, during the course of COVID, I started practicing a little bit more, which is something I never did. <laughs> but uh, you know, just getting on a pad and going through some books, you know, uh, Great. Yeah. that. Just trying to get my hands working a little bit better, and part of that was the reason I did it was because I was playing so little, and you know I'm not getting any younger, and I was just feeling stiff and slow, and I had to get my hands moving more more often. I mean, I used to play all the time, and then I wasn't playing at all. It was like, wow, this this doesn't feel right. I need to I need to move these some more. But there was that, and uh, what I do to improve my playing more mostly is uh is you know checking out a video uh, on youtube of people playing things and you know trying to learn grooves that, that you know i wasn't capable of playing some latin stuff or things like that you know like i, right. I stumbled across this carlos vega oh, uh man. video who's you know the guy's like butter right but playing some latin stuff it's like holy shit you know i love latin stuff but you know it's out of my wheelhouse those those offbeat kick drum things it's not one and three or whatever you know (laughs) you know know, it's one you know it's like wacky grooves and so practicing that kind of stuff trying to get more independence and coordination playing those kind of grooves i'd love to be able to play them more fluently I, I can fake my way through some stuff, but it doesn't last for long. You know, <laughs> I just kind of have to stay there. It's like if I start messing around with it, I'm, you know, it's like falling off a bike. Um, um, yeah. You know, but I that's great. That's, but I mean, that's, that's what you, you gotta, you gotta try stuff that you're not comfortable playing. And that's how you, that's how well, you that's what we and, always yeah. did. You know, I mean, you listen to stuff and try to, <clears throat> and, and try to play it, you know, from the yeah. get go. That's exactly that's what, what most of us did uh, so if not all putting records on moving the needle over exactly yeah i know We're talking about that <laughs> now i can week. slow now i can slow like youtube videos down somebody hit me to yeah man there's this little 
icon and you can go there and, and play it like it you know half the speed i'm going you're kidding you know and you can you can hear it and see people move it's like ah oh, this is brilliant it's great i know i know but just i just before we wrap it up i had chris parker on last week and i said exactly what you just said jack which was like listening to the old stuff records that he was on and like lifting the needle up and playing it again like okay let me let me hear that part and i you know you don't want to scratch the records you carefully move it and and there it is you know what did he do i uh, can't hear it again yeah i know but it also helps when you get the visual thing too so you know earlier on all we had we could only listen or if we saw somebody live you know can you play that again you know but uh (laughs) now you can see it happen and it's just so great and one of my favorites was uh I stumbled across another one, Steve Gadd teaching a class on his um, Mozambique beat. And he just broke it down in the, it, it was so yeah. cool. Cause when you hear him play it at full speed, it's like, Oh fuck, I can't play that. Never ever. You yeah. yeah. But, and then he breaks it down and you go, that's it. That's the whole <laughs> thing. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I had to work on the, on the independence of it, but it, it wasn't like this. It sounds and a lot of them do sound more complex than they really yeah. are. You know, some of them are actually complex, but, <laughs> you know, some of them are like when they break them down like that, it's like, oh, man. Okay. I can yeah. get this. I, yeah. I know what you mean, too. The sticking, when he breaks it down, it, it he makes it sound much more simple. But, you know, and then when he's playing two sticks in each hand and it's the accents and, like you say, the independence, it, it you know, he's, it's, it's. I still can't. I could never play it the way he plays it. I mean, in a million. Well, years. no, it's his feel, but it's and it's all about the accents on certain beats. You know, it's like when yeah. you hear it just straight ahead, it's you know just this vanilla generic thing. Yeah. But yeah. then when you start hearing these things pop out at you, it's like oh man, you know, <laughs> like New Orleans grooves. You know, it's like a lot of oh, or, yeah. or, or you know Tower of Power stuff. You know, it's like a, it's it's paradiddles. You know, it's like but. Right. Just, you know, they got all yeah. these accents and, you know, the kicks and, you know, it's so cool. Anyway, yeah. that's what I've been doing. I've been listening to people slowing videos down and stealing shit, Anthony. <laughs> that's basically what I've been doing all my life. So. <laughs> uh, hey, I got to tell you, man, two really great drummers commenting right now. Eddie Taduri says, forget about practicing making meatballs, which will serve you better in your old age. You can't eat a paradiddle. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, Eddie used to live here, and he, he used to have guys over, and he'd make nice sauce, and he made meatballs. You know, it was yeah. great, Hank. And he's uh, he's, he's going to be on this Friday with me. Uh, yeah, I, I'll have to put that on my calendar. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love Eddie, and uh, it me was too. I'd see him here. Uh, he moved years ago, but I'd see him from time to time when I get out to the West Coast. But yeah, always great to see Eddie and he makes it fine meatball. I got to say and a nice sauce. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And at that point in time, there were maybe about, I don't know, six Italians in Nashville, you know, <laughs> so uh, there weren't that many. We had to keep it together. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of meatballs for you guys. You couldn't get, a, you know, some nice sauce in Nashville. It just didn't happen. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's too great. And, and Ash Stone, the great Ash Stone is also watching. Oh man, his, that his, guy. Oh, I know. I know. Fuck man. I, know. I, I I don't know what a groove. I, I I watch his videos. He's one of those guys I, I watch on YouTube. Uh, well, what a thing! He'll be happy to yeah. hear that. That's yeah. Well, 
you and him and Eddie. I mean, you know, I mean, like that's, you guys are all the top of the mountain when it comes to that stuff. So Jack, it's been a a blast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. It's good to see you. I hope to see you in person sometime relatively soon. I I do get up to Boston um, occasionally, but we've been threatening to have an adult beverage uh, for a while, but it never happens. But I'm due. We're overdue. We're and overdue. A couple of and adult beverages. And some meatballs. And some meatballs. <laughs> if you find your way this way in the spring, as you're thinking you might, that would be so fun. And, and uh, yeah. And I want to come to your drum room and play all of your drums, every single set. <laughs> I'm going to stay over for a few days and just, I'm going to play all. <laughs> I would love that. Kelly would love it. She, By the way, I spoke with my sister-in-law, Tracy, first today, who was so happy. She says hello to you. When I hello, Tracy. You. Yeah. And Kelly, of course. Um, we love you like like mad. So I love you back. Thank you. Yeah. What a long, great relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have old friends. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm so honored. Well, stay with me for one minute, if you would, Jack, and we'll we'll end this stream and say goodbye. But I want to thank everybody for watching. Big hand for Jack Bruno. Yeah. Yep. 